make it, you make it sound like it's some sort of ominous thing that I'm going to talk about. It's one of the things I love the most. I'm, not a, I'm going to talk about giving. That's not a dirty word in this church, is it? No, no. Actually, I'm only, I'm only kind of going to talk about giving. Giving's going to be the result of something else that I want to talk about that I think is far more exciting and uh, far more p- powerful. Why don't we thank worship team, unless you guys want to stay, but these guys are awesome. You've got such great worship in this church, don't you? Yeah. You know? Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I heard someone say that anybody can get invited somewhere once. Um, <laughs> to get invited back is, uh, is an honor. So it's actually the exact uh, Sunday to date, 12 months ago, that I got to be here with you guys. And so to see your kids' room finished off with the carpet down, and you know, it's just exciting to see things, things happening in your church. And uh, I just love your pastors. These guys are awesome. I don't know about you, but I was, as I was preparing my message this week, I was thinking, what's so special about these guys? And instantly, didn't have to think for long, the word seen came straight into my mind. That whenever I'm with you, I feel seen. I don't feel overlooked. I don't feel looked past. I don't feel like you're talking to me in order to get to the next thing. You're actually present in every moment with the people that you talk to. And it's a gift. And I just feel seen by you guys. And it's the, it's the eyes of God coming through you to just place value on people. And that's quite special. So why don't, why don't we thank our, your pastors. These guys are awesome. You know, um, such genuine, honest pastors that love, love God. I don't think I've ever come away from Phil without having a revelation. From, you know, anything you can do to start sharing scriptures with you to bless you. And uh, that's awesome. So I'm looking forward to seeing these guys holding hands next time they're playing the piano. I think that'll be special. I've got my, my wife, Rachel, here. With our uh, Last time this baby was in the belly when we were here. So Ariel is 10 months old, nine months old, give or take. You start measuring in months, it gets confusing. Uh, we've got my eldest daughter, Amity, and my son, Roman, out in your kids' program. And our other daughter, Sailor, stayed at home with some cousins because uh, she would have less fun in the car trip here than the rest of the kids. So we thought that might save us and you a little bit of um, screaming. Is that good? Is that all right? <laughs> I actually uh, had shoulder surgery uh, two and a half weeks ago on this shoulder. And uh, I went in because I had a spur growing on the top of the bone here that was just rubbing on the rotator cuff, just slicing it up. And so in order to fix that, they dislocated my shoulder and pulled it right out of a socket so they could get in with a grinder, basically, and just grind that little bit of bone away. And while they were in there, they realized that my bicep wasn't attached properly. And so they cut the tendon off, drilled a hole, and put a screw in to keep it in place better. And then I woke up to the news of, oh, by the way, we also cut and screwed your bicep tendon. It's like, oh, great. That's, uh, that's exciting. And so all of the tendons have been stretched and torn and... and uh, so the, the physios uh, obviously gives you a lot of... Anyone had shoulder surgery? No? Wow. No shoulder... That's awesome. You don't want it. But uh, the physio said, you've got to start doing all these movements. And I couldn't actually lift my arm without using my other hand to lift my arm straight away. But I was told that a week later when you go back to the specialist, the first thing he'll do is lift your arm up. 
So everything you can do to get ready for that moment is important, right? So I'm, I'm going like this, I'm hand crawling up the wall so that I can start moving my arm and getting everybody I can grab a hold of to pray for me. And uh, it wasn't so painful when I went back to the, uh, the specialist. Um, and I feel like sometimes talking about giving can be a little bit like a physiotherapist saying, in order to get to a place of absolute strength, we're going to have to stretch you past your own limitations and past the place of pain to get you to the place that you need to be. Because if I didn't have a physio pushing me, I'd probably go, oh, that hurts, and I'd stop. Where he says, no, 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 grab it by the other arm and pull it all the way up and stretch it. You're not going to do damage. You're actually going to get stronger quicker. And so my prayer for you is as I'm talking and stretch, is it all right if I stretch you a little bit to get you stronger quicker in the things that God's got for your life? And this is about you. This is about what God wants to do in your life personally. Who's got a sense that there's some things in your life that you haven't done yet that God's got planned for you? Come on, who, who feels like God's got something planned for your life, right? There's a purpose that you're on the earth, and this is attached to that. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, we had to stretch recently in an offering. Uh, who was at Presence Conference recently? Who knows, you've got to plan your budget before you go to Presence Conference, because there's an offering every time you sit in the seat. And uh, I love that. It's, Pastor Phil Pringle has been like an incredible spiritual physio in the area of giving, stretching not just a church, but a whole movement of people to believe God and for the grace that can actually be released in your life through giving. And so we, we were, you know, processing how much we wanted to give in a particular offering and uh, chatting it through and praying about it and via text message because Rach was up in the parents' room and I was down in the floor. So you're, you're texting to try and figure out how we're going to approach this offering and we had a couple of things on our mind. I was about to resign from my part-time job so I could focus on ministry. And I uh, had this shoulder surgery coming up, so I knew I had the expense of paying the insurance for that. And uh, we also had been planning an overseas holiday next year that we're saving for. And all three of those things were going to be impacting this offering. But what I wanted to do, what we wanted to do is push every other opinion out of the way and just see what God wanted to say. When we can get all of those other influences out of the picture and say, well, God, what do you want us to do? And so he put on our heart a couple of thousand dollars to give into this offering. I said, all right, well, that, that's going to put the America holiday to visit our friends a little bit out of reach. Maybe we could go the year after. Uh, we've got to pay off this surgery cost and I'm resigning from a job, but all right, God, you've been faithful before. There's nothing to stop us from thinking you're going to be faithful again. And so the, we gave in the offering. Two weeks later, I'm due for surgery. The day before the surgery, a friend from Brisbane rings me up and says, what's your bank details? I just want to love you. And he put in my account the exact amount to cover the insurance for the surgery, right? Then I've resigned from this job, and we get a pay, my final pay for the job is about three times more than what we're expecting. Because there was these, these bonuses that were due for me that I had no idea about. So I actually checked the pay slip and I was going to call up the pay office to go, is this right? And I'm like, no, that looks right. We just won't make that phone call. <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so they put this money in. So we got the, the insurance paid for. We got this bonus. And so I actually ended up with more money in the bank account after the surgery than I did before the offering had taken place. And I want to tell you, like I shared this story with our team at church a couple of weeks ago, 
And one of the girls, I said, oh, this stuff always happens for you. And we're like, yeah, because this is the way the kingdom works. When you prioritize the voice of God in your life, he prioritizes his resources to get you to where you need to be. And so I wanna encourage you, and I'm believing for an impartation and an anointing here, that the confidence that I've got, that God is a provider, would actually get on your world. It would get on your life. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of giving. I thank you for the honor that it is to actually get to partner with you in your kingdom, that you don't just leave us on the sidelines, but you let us get in the game, that we're a part of your kingdom, that we're your children. And so, Father, I pray right now for the, the Spirit of God just to anoint these words, to divide between heart and soul and flesh and just deposit truth into our spirits that's gonna cause us to rise up on the inside and live boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Awesome, if you've got a Bible, uh, I'm gonna turn to 2 Corinthians chapter eight this morning. I'm gonna read out of the Passion Translation. Is anyone familiar with the Passion Translation of the Bible? It's a brilliant, brilliant translation. Encourage you to get a hold of that. And Paul is writing to this Corinthian church and he starts to encourage them in their giving. He says, beloved ones, we must tell you about the grace God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even, enduring, even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. From the depths of their extreme poverty, super abundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. See, what came first? I like a bit of interaction, sorry. What came first? Grace. I see that hand. Grace and then joy and then giving. If you start with giving, you're always gonna find it's a chore. But if you start with grace... It shifts everything because all of a sudden joy gets in between the grace moment and the giving moment and it actually fuels your capacity to give. It says, they, I can verify they gave spontaneously, not according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us according to God's pleasure. This is why we appeal to Titus, since he was the one that got you started and encouraged you to give, so he could help you complete this generous undertaking on your behalf. So Titus was a bit of a, a physiotherapist, I think. He was sent in to get these guys stirred up. It says, you do well and excel in every respect in unstoppable faith, in powerful preaching, in revelation knowledge, in your passionate devotion, sounds a bit like this church, and in sharing the love we have shown to you. So make sure you also excel in this grace-filled giving. I'm not saying this as an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge. Isn't that funny? He's like, he's putting the challenge out there. How many guys came back from that Wild at Heart trip just wanting to pull out a broadsword and, and take on a, you know? I went to that one 10 years ago. It was amazing, absolutely incredible, um, right? He throws down the gauntlet. For you have experienced the extravagant grace, the same grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake, so by his poverty, we would come rich beyond measure. That's an incredible passage of scripture. 
And so often we can skip past that first verse and, and just look at the fact that he's talking about giving. He's saying, look at how they gave and look at the type of giving they did and look at the joy. And, and we can jump straight into the whole giving thing and think that Paul is teaching them about how to give when really Paul is describing what happens when grace gets activated in somebody's life. He actually says, I want to tell you about grace. He doesn't say, I want to tell you how to give. He says, I want to tell you about the grace that was poured out on these Macedonians, on these Philippian Christians, saying this is what happens. This is what it looks like. This is what gets activated when grace gets given to somebody. And so before Paul talks about what the Macedonians gave, he talks about what they received. I want to talk to, talk to you today about what you've received the grace of God. Who's, who loves grace, yeah. right? I, I don't think you can actually exaggerate how good grace is. You, you can do some pretty dodgy things with grace if you forget to add truth, but grace can't be exaggerated too much as far as how incredible it is. So I've got a whole stack of script. They're not gonna go on the screen. I'm just gonna run through a bunch of scriptures just to paint a bit of a picture on how beautiful and powerful grace is. So Romans 3.24, we're justified by grace. Romans 4.16, God's promises are according to grace. Romans 5.15, grace is a free gift. Romans 12.6, grace is what empowers you with a spiritual gift. 2 Corinthians 12.9, His grace is sufficient for you so that you'll have everything you need in every situation to do everything that He's called you to do. Galatians 1.15, you are set apart and called by grace. Ephesians 1.7, redemption and forgiveness come through the riches of God's grace. Ephesians 2.5, by grace you're saved. 2 Thessalonians 2, eternal hope and comfort are the result of grace. And 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 says you're strengthened by grace. Ephesians 2.7 said it is the riches of God's grace which is actually immeasurable. That's, what, that's just the tip of the iceberg of what grace does in your life. It saves you, it justifies you, it, it transforms you. It does things on the inside of you so that the world around you begins to take an effect and get influenced by the kingdom of God. Grace is just incredible. Grace is this amazing thing and it's immeasurable. You can't actually exhaust the grace of God. Who's ever felt like they needed a little more grace sometimes, right? You're sort of down and you're like, oh gosh, but it's like, oh, I hope God's got enough grace for me. He's always got grace, right? It's an unlimited resource flowing out of heaven. And grace is not just the power of God, it's also the potential power of God. It's as though the Holy Spirit uses grace as a conduit to get power out of heaven into your life. So when grace touches your life, you can do things that you couldn't do before. You can forgive someone that was horrible to you. It just comes out of you. You're able to be generous. You're able to be kind at a level that was otherwise unattainable. You find yourself being totally transformed. Addictions break off your life because grace has actually changed your heart, right? It takes your dead heart and makes it alive again. So grace is this incredible thing. Sometimes we think grace is just unmerited favor, right? Grace is far more than the fact that God likes you. Grace is the fact that he gives you power to be transformed, to actually live a totally different life. But if you flip the coin over, let me read a few other scriptures about what God says about his grace. First Peter four, verse 10 says that grace has to be stewarded. 
which also implies that it can be misstewarded. Jude verse uh, 4 says, don't pervert or mishandle grace. He's saying there's actually a way to respond to grace that's considered right, and there's a way to respond to grace that's considered wrong. Don't mishandle it, don't pervert it, don't missteward it. Galatians 2.21 says that our attitudes and behaviors can actually nullify grace. Nullify means that you cut it off. It's like cutting a power cord so the appliance no longer operates. There's things that we can do that can actually cut off that power that God's trying to release in your life to do all those great things. If we don't posture our hearts right, we can nullify the grace of God in our lives. We can stop it having its full effect, right? 2 Peter 3.18, grace is to be grown in. 2 Corinthians 1.15, grace is to be experienced more than once. It's not a one-off event. It's a continuous cycle. James 4.6 says that God can increase His grace towards you. There's a good promise to write on, the, on your floor, right? <laughs> that God's grace would increase towards you. 2 Peter 1 verse 2, Grace can be multiplied, not just increased, but multiplied. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, we're warned not to receive grace in vain, but to work hard with grace. So grace is this incredible power that is made available to us, but it needs to be stewarded. It needs to be responded to. It needs to be treasured. It needs to be loved. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to to have a right heart posture towards it so that the unlimited potential of God's power that's being trans- that's towards your heart is not just cut off, but it's actually released, right? Why is it that some people go from glory to glory to glory and some people go from glory to... It's because some people have responded to grace and other people have just camped and their attitude and their, their mindset is actually limiting how much God can do in their life. I'm not talking about the grace that gets you saved. Once you're saved, you're saved. But God keeps giving grace, doesn't He? He doesn't just give you enough grace to get you in. He, gets you, he gives you grace to get you going to where He's got planned for you. And so you've got you've to chase after this grace. So it's how we, this is how God releases transformation in your life. Think of an area of your life that you'd actually like God to change. What you need is grace. If there's a relationship, you need grace. If there's an issue with finances, you need some grace. If there's health issues, you need grace. You need the power and the potential power of God in your life to become activated so the thing that you're praying about actually changes and turns around. This is how a dead person becomes alive again because grace got activated. This is how you get transported out of a domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light because grace got activated. This is how we go from being sick to being healed because grace got activated. I love this scripture out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives this incredible illustration of how this works. He says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's literally dragging Christians off to prison. He's standing there when Christians are being stoned to death, the first martyr, and this guy's standing by giving his clap of approval. That's pretty far down on the list of people qualified to be apostle, right? There's hope for all of us, <laughs> right? God can do anything. He says, I was, I was persecuting the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? He went from being a hater of the church to being its key architect, writing half of the New Testament, 
because of grace. What could happen in your life if grace got a hold of you? What things could unfold? What could turn around if grace got a hold of your life? Or if you got a hold of the grace that's already in your life? He says, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, which means it could have been. It could have been. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Oh, hey, I thought grace was all about God does it all and we don't do anything, right? Anyone ever heard that little argument? Like, it's all by the grace of God. I love this. He just, he holds these two things that are opposite in complete perfect tension. It's all the grace of God, yet I worked harder than anyone, but it wasn't me, it was grace. Well, which one is it, Paul? Yes. (laughs) Did you get where you are because of God's grace? Yes. Did you have to work for it? Yes. Well, which one was it? Yes. Right? Can you get where you are by the grace of God without any effort? Paul doesn't give us that option. He says it was all grace, yet it was all effort, and his effort was to activate that grace and release its power into his life. You see, he didn't just sit back and say, well, God's gonna do it. He said, God's gonna do it, and I'm gonna join in. He had a a participant, active, front-footed response to grace. So grace is what shapes you into a heavenly man or woman. Grace equips you with life and purpose. It empowers you to live beyond your ability. It sustains you in every season. Grace is what gives your life the capacity to be fruitful, to be meaningful, to be full of purpose, to be overflowing with the power and the potential of God that He's placed into your life. Some people activate it and they seem to go further than others who are sitting back waiting for God to move. Have you ever said, God, if you would just give me more than I can do? Saying, well, I've given you grace. What are you gonna do with what I've already done? He's already moved first. So Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, says, I want you to know about the grace God poured out on the Macedonians. I wanna paint a picture for you as what it looks like when you've actually got this grace working in your life that manifests itself in outrageous joy that then results in outrageous giving. He's saying there's something about this grace, there's something about the power and the potential of God that can be released in your life and I'll know it's at work in you when I see this kind of giving coming out of you. You see, you know that something's working when you can see it, right? You'll know them by their fruit. So Paul's saying, I know that this grace was active because I could see the result of it. So getting grace activated will create a result. Is this, is this helpful? So this grace wasn't just given to them. Remember he said, you've got this same grace too. Extravagant grace. This, is, this wasn't just about identifying the person. You know, has everyone ever read 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 and it says that some have the gift of giving? Oh, I don't have that gift. <laughs> nope. <laughs> don't have that gift. Bless those people that do. <laughs> no, no, he's saying, there's no reason to write about a whole community that has this grace unless he intends for a whole other community to realize they've got it too. You don't create an example of something that is unattainable for the person you're writing to. So he shows them an example because he believes it's an attainable thing for this whole other church to move towards. 
This isn't about one or two people having a unique grace. This is about the general grace of God on every believer's life that can actually bring about change in your life. So what's fascinating though is that grace, when it comes into your life and it's activated, is always about something that God wants to do in you. Salvation wasn't for His benefit, it was for mine. Healing is not for God's benefit, it's for mine. Getting this relationship fixed doesn't make God feel any better. It certainly makes me feel better though, right? When grace is working in your life, it's your life that gets blessed and it's the life of the people around you that get blessed when that overflows, right? It doesn't change God. God is not feeling better or worse based on how much grace is active in my life. My life gets better or worse depending on how I respond to grace. And so God's grace for salvation, healing, forgiveness, fruitfulness, even the anointing is always about the benefit of the person who receives grace. Do you know that? So when grace is active in my life, I get the benefit and whoever I'm serving gets the benefit. So I gotta wonder, why would God give, a, give grace to a church that results in joy and giving if his whole intention for grace is not the outcome but the in, well, income, right? <laughs> the goal is not what comes out there. The goal is what's happening here, right? Grace is always about something that God is doing in my heart. Grace is always about something that God wants to shift in me so he can work through me. The, great, the goal of grace is not to generate income for the church. The goal of God's grace is to generate some transformational miracles inside my life. And he's saying, I can see miracles happening in this church because I can see the outworking of grace. Some of us wondering how we're gonna get ahead or how we're gonna overcome some obstacles, just activate some grace and the transformational power of God will actually be released into your life. So what is it that God wants to do in my heart by getting grace to result in giving? What is it that God wants to do in your heart? I was thinking, well, God's a good father, isn't he? So I heard, uh, I think it was Paul, Paul Scanlon that said, giving is not how God raises money for the church. Giving is how God raises sons and daughters for his kingdom. It's about parenting. Think about it. Does God need our money? Remember the fish and the loaves? Remember the widow's oil, right? Remember uh, the, the quail and the manna in the wilderness? God's not sitting on the throne nervous about how he's gonna resource his kingdom, right? He owns every cow on every hill on every planet. I don't know if other planets have cows or hills, but if they did, he'd own them too. He's not concerned about paying off this building. He's not worried about planting more churches out of, out of Garth and Jamie's ministry in Africa. He's not concerned about how to resource his mission. He's been doing it kind of forever. So it's not about raising money. It's about raising sons and daughters for a kingdom. It's about activating grace in your heart that lifts you to live at the level of identity you were born again to live for. Some of us gotta get off the whole, it's all about money thing. No, no, no. Let me tell you about the grace poured out on the Macedonians. Sure, it resulted in giving, but pff, that's secondary to what it resulted in inside them. They actually were no longer trapped by their poverty mindset. It says they gave what they have and then they gave even more. 
how did they tap into resources that were otherwise unavailable? God activated something in their spirit, which released something from heaven, which means they could now take a hold of resources that actually weren't even theirs. God released resource into their life. How did I pay off my insurance for, for a hospital visit? God released resource that wasn't attainable for me into my bank account so I could pay a bill. It says the Philippians gave according to their means and then even beyond their means. It's like taking the wallet from the person next to you and giving beyond your means. It's using someone else's means, God's means. But then they gave that as well. They got so excited about this whole prospect of sowing, they weren't even looking for the increase to stay in their account. They were looking for more opportunities to sow into the ministry of Paul and the expansion of the gospel. This isn't about materialism and just being wealthy. This is about building a kingdom and being the sons and daughters of the king. So what is it, right? God is raising children. I don't know about you, but when I raise, when we're trying to raise our kids, raise my kids. We're trying. Some people say, man, you got four kids. How do you do it? Oh, I have a Rachel. That's how I do it. (laughs) Any dad's life, right? You know, women are amazing. I go, I don't know how you do it. Thank you, Jesus. I get to go to work today. Um, I don't know how they do it. It's amazing, right? Women and their their capacity just blows my mind, right? But we want our kids to be generous. I don't want my kids to grow up stingy. Nobody does. And I'm a fallen, broken person. How much more does our heavenly father want his kids to be generous and not stingy? I want my kids to know that every time they get out of bed, there'll be breakfast and they don't have to get out of bed going, oh, I wonder if we'll eat today. God doesn't want you getting out of bed in the morning saying, I wonder how I'll pay my bills today. I wonder how I'll get that next contract and we get nervous and concerned about how, what, what's gonna be on the table. God's saying, oh, 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 I'm your dad. You shouldn't be getting up out of bed nervous and worried. Let's activate some grace so that you can get out of bed thinking about, what are we gonna do today, dad? Let's build a kingdom instead of being worried about what I don't have. So I want my kids to know that holding onto their faith is more valuable than holding onto their finances. I want my kids to know that it's better to be big-hearted and be a lover of people. You see, if you're used to giving, you're also used to forgiving. People who give regularly find it easier to forgive people that hurt them because they're used to taking the cost for things. If you're always generous, you find it easier to be merciful because you've got in the habit of letting things go, right? Psalm 37, 26 I found the godly ones to be the generous ones who give freely to others. Their children are blessed and become a great blessing. Parents, if if you want your children to be blessed, activate the grace that results in giving and invoke this promise onto your life. Don't get nervous about your investment portfolio, whether or not you should keep the extra house or whatever it is. Get into the zone of giving and see that your children won't just be blessed, they'll be resources, resourced beyond their means to be a blessing. This is the goal of God's heart towards his kids, that we wouldn't just be blessed, that we'd have so much more than enough that we'd actually be a blessing. It's hard to be a blessing when I'm nervous about what I'm gonna pay off next week. It's hard to have a I'm a blessing mindset when I'm concerned about if there's food on the table. Now, we've had seasons where our budget's been in the black and in the red and everywhere in between. 
And honestly, most of the time, it's been in the in-between. But we've never gone without, because God is always faithful. God is always good. And so I can take off the anxiety and the worry, put it over there with God, and just get focused on what He's called me to, instead of getting bogged down in things. Proverbs 11.24, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Getting a big heart and living a big life starts with generosity. Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous honors the Lord. You honor God when we start being generous. This is how we live a life of worship. Proverbs 19, 30, uh, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Wait a second. Now I don't even have to be worried about lending to the poor and not getting paid back. God himself will pay me back. And who knows, he can pay with interest, right? And again, this isn't about giving to get. This is about getting rid of anxiety and worry from our life that restricts ourselves from living the big life that God called us to, right? That I don't have to fret and worry that I'm on the losing end of any transaction where generosity is my motivation. If I'm motivated by generosity, God will look after me. This is what the scriptures tell me. Proverbs 11:25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. What that means is I don't have to worry about looking after mine if I'm looking after God's and I'm looking after others. If you've got a garden here and I've got my hose and I'm standing here watering it, God's right behind me watering my garden. If I'm focused on blessing your life, I don't have to be worried about mine because God's gonna water that one. If I'm focused on building his house, I don't have to worry about paying off mine because God's gonna focus on my house. If I'm focused on resourcing and providing the needs for my extended family and church, I don't have to be worried about my family because God is gonna water my garden, right? right? If you get past that place of, of, oh, I don't know, you'll find your whole world opens up right? You live free. You live light. You're not restrained and restricted by thinking, oh no, poverty mindset. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Just enjoy today, right? Love God. Love people. I love this in, uh, in Acts in, in a moment. Paul is at the port of Ephesus. He's about to go back to Jerusalem. Prophets there have said, look, if you go, you will be chained you will be imprisoned and it'll eventually lead to your death. And they're pleading with him not to go. And he says, I gotta go. The spirit of the Lord is compelling me to go. And so he's leaving them and he's on, on, the, on the, the, the barge area. They're about to get on the boat and they're saying their final words. It says they kneel down together to pray. Like it's one thing to say goodbye to someone, they're getting on a plane and you can Skype them later. But this was a we will probably never see you again moment. We might be able to send you a letter, but we probably won't get one back for another year or two. Who knows how long it could take for that letter to find you and for you to find your way. This is, good, this is goodbye, Paul, the apostle who started our church. This is, who knows in those kind of moments, you choose your words wisely before you leave. You don't wanna say anything that's gonna leave a mark. You wanna say something that just blesses, that encourages, that that translates your affection, that just deposits grace and love and a confidence. You wanna point them heavenward. And he says this, verse 35 of chapter 20. 
Remember the words of the Lord Jesus who said, it's more blessed to give than receive. What interesting last words, right? He said, of everything, don't forget that a posture of giving is the most important way to live. Don't forget that it was Jesus that said this, right? Jesus said this, and I'm telling you that the most important way to orient your life is in a posture of giving, is in a posture of generosity. And it begs the question, why? Why is it so important to be the one on the front foot with giving? You see, if I give you a gift, you get the gift, but I've activated grace. I'm far better off to have grace activated in my life as I give than to simply receive some money or to receive a gift. You can give all kinds of things, but nothing is as valuable as the immeasurable potential of God's grace being activated in your life. This is why it's far more important to be a giver than a receiver. Who loves receiving? I I love it. I love to receive. When my friend asked me for my bank details, I didn't hesitate. Absolutely, I'll tell you my bank details because God's taught me that it's important to let people give and not rob them from activating grace in their life, right? And so when you activate grace in your life, God starts to go to work on the things that matter to you. This is why Luke 6.38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. God, if you could just give me some more, I'll start living generous. All right, give and it will be given to you. God, if I just get this breakthrough at work, then I can start tithing. All right, give and it that you need will be given to you. He's like, but you move first, God, it's your move. I gave you grace, your move, right? (laughs) Paul's saying, he's already moved. Let me tell you about the grace given to you. Stop asking for things and start getting on the front foot, he's saying. It's better to give than to receive. And he says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. Right? Do you ever notice a person standing up that has a lap? In what posture does a person who's very worried usually position their physical body? They're they're pacing up and down. See, Jesus could have said, I'll pour it on the floor. It'll be pressed down, running together, and I'll pour it onto the floor. It'll be pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring onto your barn or into your house. He goes, no, no, no. It'll be pressed down, running over into your lap. Because when you're in this place in your spirit, you'll be at rest and you'll have somewhere for me to pour it into. You'll have so much peace that anxiety and worry is so far from your mind that you've created a space for me to pour the blessing, that you'll be at peace. The greatest blessing is not the pouring in, it's the sitting down. Because you've been raised and seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with Christ. When you live worried, you live standing up, pacing around. It says that when Jesus, our great high priest, went into the heavens, he sat down. Every other priest before him in the earthly ministry stood up because their job wasn't finished. 
Jesus' work was finished and he sat down. When you learn to sit down on the inside, when you get rid of anxiety and worry, when you're no longer worried about how you're gonna provide for your family or your business, and you realize that as I give, I can sit down and know that God's going to work so I can rest, I can just enjoy his presence and he's gonna give back to me a good measure, pressed down, running over into my lap. I don't know about you, but I get excited because I know God's on it, right? I don't have to worry about provision for my life. How is it that I can just resign from a part-time job that's gonna cut my income in half? Because God's on it. God's in my life. I'm a giver. We don't stop our giving just because my circumstances changed. In fact, we, 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 we've always tried to give well and truly above a 10%. 10% is an Old Testament starting block right? But the river of grace that flows is like exponential. If you actually do a study of the Old Testament, the Old Testament laws actually required most Israelites to give around 23%. The 10% tithe was just one offering. They had all these other offerings that you just whack together, right? You know, what about the tithe? Isn't that Old Testament? Sure. What about grace? (laughs) Who cares about the tithe? Give regularly because you want grace to be a cycle in your life. The tithe is New Testament, by the way. That's why Jesus said the Pharisees tithe their cumin, their mint, and their dill, but they, they neglect the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy. I don't think anyone thinks justice and mercy is Old Testament. Neither is a tithe. It's a principle before it was ever a law. That's, you can read that in the book up the back there if you want that one, right? Let me, let me finish. How are we doing? We land this plane? In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is now writing to these Macedonian Christians. So when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, let me tell you about the grace given to the Macedonians, but now he's actually writing to them, the Philippian church. And when, when you talk about giving, some people get a little bit nervous, like, why all this talk on giving, or why all this talk on what you get out of it? You see, you've got to understand what, who it is that we worship. In Hebrews 11.6, it says that you can't approach God without faith, right? It's impossible to please God without faith and that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. It's His personality, it's His nature to actually reward when people seek. So if you seek Him and don't expect Him to be a rewarding, generous God, you're not seeking Him. You're seeking an idea of Him. But when you get it into your spirit that he is actually so abundantly generous beyond my imagination that every time I come to him, I'm gonna come away blessed, right? Every time I come to Phil, I'm gonna come away encouraged. Every time I come to Julie, I come away seen. Every time I come to the Father, I'm gonna come away rewarded. I'm gonna come away blessed because that's just who he is, right? And so this isn't about give in order to get, this is about understanding that as you throw off the shackles of a poverty mindset, as you start to sow into the kingdom, it's not about getting, it's about knowing that the God who you serve will actually provide for every other area of your life so you don't have to be worried. You can actually sow confidently with faith knowing that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And so some people say, oh, it's all about money. No, 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 it's all about good parenting. In Philippians 4, let's jump there, verse 14. Remember, this is that stellar church that had excelled in this grace. He says, it was kind of you to share my troubles. 
And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership in giving and receiving except you. Isn't that, isn't that like the saddest verse in the Bible? This is the Apostle Paul. If he was like holding a conference in Sydney, <laughs> everyone would turn up, right? He wrote half the New Testament. He was pretty switched on. He says he's planting churches. This is the pioneering season of the gospel. Lives are literally being taken out of darkness into light. People's physical bodies are getting healed. Salvation is just going everywhere. This is a phenomenal, exciting season. And only this church entered into partnership with him in giving and receiving. The word partnership is also translated the word fellowship in other parts of the Bible. When it says, enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, is a relationship word. This wasn't a business transaction for them. This was a covenant commitment. We're with you. Wherever you go, we're gonna go so that the ministry can continue. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent for my help and my needs once and again and again. It wasn't a one-off moment. This wasn't an annual offering. This was a lifestyle of posturing their heart towards fueling and financing the mission of God, knowing that as they did and activated grace, their life would be secure. As I water Paul and his ministry, my life will be watered. As I pour out towards his life and the things that are on the man of God that I'm connected to, my life is gonna get blessed. As you pour into vision builders, your life will be secured, your life will be blessed. As you bring your tithe regularly to the house of God and so into the vision and the ministry of the man and woman of God that he's placed here, your life will be secured and you can know not on their integrity, but on God's integrity, that he's gonna bless your life. He's gonna secure your life. And Paul says, I find this interesting too. People ask, oh, if you've got enough money, will the church stop taking offerings? <laughs> Only if they're taking offerings to get money. But what if they're taking up offerings to give you another opportunity to activate grace, right? He says, not that I seek the gift. So here he is asking them for another offering. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit or to your account. He's saying, you know what? I'm gonna look silly. Some people are gonna criticize me. Some people are gonna call me a false prophet because I'm talking about money. But you know what? I'm gonna continue asking you because I know what's gonna happen in your life. It's, it's worth me taking the hit in order for you to receive the blessing that's gonna add to your account, that God's gonna do when you activate grace. It's worth it being awkward because that's what parenting does. Parenting says what the kid needs to hear without restraint on how that's gonna affect them. So Paul, he's, remember, these were the ones that gave out of extreme poverty. Have you ever gone into a poor village and taken up an offering? <laughs> Paul has. <laughs> and then he took up again and again. This is next level big thinking, right? He says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And we'll finish here in just a second. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received the, the gift from Epaphroditus you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's saying, I've got enough. I'm not asking for another offering because we're in need. My motivation is not about what we need. My motivation is about what it's gonna continue to do in your life. And then he says these beautiful words, and I know that my God 
will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. A lot of Christians love to cherry pick that verse. It's probably written on the floor in there, I don't know, right? We love that verse, but that verse is at the end of a letter that's filled with context. That verse, you know, if you read Peter's letter, Peter says, well, Paul, he writes the same in all of his letters. And he does. You can compare different passages and goes, he says the same thing here as he says there. He only says this here. The Philippians, the Macedonians are the only church that he was confident enough to write these words to. It's as if he's saying, I can see the cycle of grace is so active. There's so much momentum here. I can see that this grace is just welling up and being expressed in all kinds of ways, that you've got it. You've got the revelation that it's about building a kingdom and releasing resource, knowing that God will bless your life. I can see that you're no longer trapped in fear or anxiety or worry. You're actually pursuing the call of God for your life so passionately. I can see the fruit of it. Therefore, I can confidently say, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Wow. Simply because they got an understanding of the power of grace being released in their life and what it would do. I wonder what provision God has wrapped up and then tied to the grace he's given you. He's saying, you want this, you need this, you're praying for this, but I've already given you the button to press. If you just hit that button, if you just activate that grace, it's gonna release this stuff into your life. Give and it will be given to you. God's got what you need. He says, oh, He will supply all your needs. Maybe your family, physical sickness, relationships, finances, a mortgage, a business. Any area of your life, you God, I need. God, I just need. God, would you please? He's saying give and it will be given. The principle of giving and receiving is so powerful, so important that when Paul was leaving Ephesus, they were his final words. This is not a small part of the kingdom. This is a major part of it, right? Don't buy into the lie that there's a prosperity doctrine, right? This is simple Bible, that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him, that when you activate grace, it releases things in your life, and that the God who you give to is able then to give back a full measure, pressed down, running over. Why don't we stand as we come to a close here. We're actually gonna take, uh, your offering's gonna be taken up in just a moment. Why don't you just close your eyes and just, I've spoken a lot, but why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to speak? He says it so much better. He can say it in a word. Just close your eyes, it just blocks out distraction, illuminates your, the mind of your spirit to commune with God. Holy Spirit, would you speak right now? It's releasing the atmosphere and an anointing to step into the confident giving zone. Lord, would you speak to people about what to give, how to unlock things in their world? Maybe people need to sell things like they did in the early chapters of the book of Acts. Sell land, sell a house, sell a game, sell a TV. Maybe they need to offload some of those sandbags and turn it into an act of giving. Father, would you speak to your people? Lord, I thank you that it's not about how big the offering is, but it's how big our heart is towards your kingdom. That you're not impressed by the size of our giving, but you look at the heart. So Lord, let our offering 
Let our offerings, God, be consistent with the size of our heart towards you. Enlarge our hearts today, God, to activate grace, to see miracles released in our lives. In Jesus' name. This morning when I got out of bed, I said, God, what is the word you want to give this church? And instantly this word popped into my mind. Undeniable. And I believe God wants to do undeniable miracles in your life through your giving. God wants to show up in your life in such incredible ways that it will be undeniable that it was Him that did it. That you won't be confused. There won't be a a doubt or a question. Was this God? No, no, no. He wants to move in undeniable ways so that you can stand and see the goodness of God touching your finances, touching your business, touching your family, seeing things grow. I believe doors of opportunity are waiting to be opened that are gonna be released as grace is activated in your life. In Jesus' name. So Father, this morning, I thank you for grace. I thank you for the grace that you've given us, the extravagant, powerful, life-transforming grace. And Lord, not just today, but next week and the week after and the week after, every week, Lord, once and again, that we'd be once and again type of Christians that pour our lives out on an offering, that pour our lives out, God, to see your kingdom built, to take what's in our hand and to prioritize your kingdom, knowing that you'll provide everything else that we need for our lives because you're a good father and we wanna be your children. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you grab your seats for just a second. I think the stewards are about to come around on your seats. You've got your giving cards. If you're a visitor here today, uh, be encouraged just to give, but uh, don't feel any pressure to do that. But uh, on the screens, I believe you have your, your giving details, your options, your way that you can do that. You can give online, you can jump on the website. Uh, there's an FPOS machine somewhere here, I believe, to, to go and avail yourself to that or put finances in the bucket. But why don't you just prepare yourself for that and uh, our stewards will just come around with buckets, I believe. Awesome. Why don't we do that? Take up that offering. After you've given your offering, as that's gone past your regular tithes and offerings, I wanna open up the altar for anyone that just is believing. They, they just need that extra bit of encouragement to step into a new level to step into a new zone with their giving. Maybe you're worried or you're, you're dealing with doubts or wrestling with, with fear. I believe that can get broken off your life today. Maybe you just want a fresh encouragement. Maybe you're an amazing giver and you're just bubbling up going, I just wanna give again. Just, let's just come out and believe together for God to activate an incredible amount of grace in your life. So after the bucket's gone past, you can, why don't you stand up once you've given your offering? And if everyone, anyone wants to come and receive ministry, we have the food.